Hi, and welcome to Dietless Living 360 Degrees, Overcoming Weight Loss Obstacles with me, your host, Katie Gordon. As a weight loss coach, I help women and men overcome their weight loss obstacles so they can lose weight their way and lose it for life. But the old saying that it takes a village to raise a child also applies to reaching our weight loss goals because some of the obstacles that we have actually reach out into other areas of our life, into our relationships, businesses, careers, work, uh, in our home, our families, finances. And sometimes we have injuries or other more complex health issues that are impacting our weight. And whilst how to overcome weight loss obstacles in six simple steps helps you to create healthy, happy habits in those times and maintain those, we still need professionals to help us move through those other obstacles in the other areas of our life. So with that in mind, Dietless Living 360 Degrees brings in those other professionals to help you overcome those obstacles. And today we have the absolutely divine Kelly Baines. Kelly is an artist and an arts and sand play therapist. And she's also a children's counsellor who's worked in remote Indigenous communities for the last five years. Being a big kid herself, she understands the magic of connecting with your joyous, playful nature to heal and acknowledge the inner child who is often wounded from childhood trauma. Kelly's love of making art and the creative processes of channeling other worlds and dimensions through the processes of creating her extraordinary collages. Kelly just loves exploring and connecting with nature through hiking and living simply and carrying everything that she needs on her back and learning that she is so much more capable than she ever thought she was. So welcome to the show, Kelly. It's so great having you here today. Would you like to tell us a little bit about what you do and the main way that you help your clients? Sure. So um, thanks for having me, Katie. Um, so what I do, I work with, um, obviously in the communities I work with, I work with very highly traumatised children um, and I'm a creative therapist. So there's a lot of power in the process of play um, creativity and things like symbol work within sand play. Um, and what it does is it allows the children to process whatever, um, whatever trauma they've had through their play without, you know, me even knowing what the, the trauma is. Um, it's a very, very powerful, beautiful process to witness. And obviously a lot of the children I work with are nonverbal um, and there's also language barriers. So for them to be able to process um, their responses that are going on in their body and have them come out through their play and, you know, moving symbols around or drawing on a page um, with different mediums um, that actually helps that energy to shift within them. So. Oh, wow. But yeah. actually, um, we've talked many times and we've touched a little bit on what you do and how you do your therapy. And it's such an interesting way for people to, especially kids, but adults do it too, don't they? They use yeah. the art therapy and the sand therapy. So can we just, before we move on to some of the other questions, can we just talk a little bit more about that and how 
how that kind of helps people to like as a therapy how does it actually help to bring them to a place of is it a place of peace and healing um yeah it can be um it's definitely a process um because a lot of a lot of our trauma and a lot of the things we're dealing with are stored in the body and we can be um responding and behaving in ways that are unconscious so the, what the creative therapy does for adults mostly is it brings um, that, those unconscious things to the forefront so that we can look at them and see them from a different perspective. But it, it does it in a way that externalises it. Yeah. So um, you're looking at it from a distance. So it's, it doesn't re-traumatise you, I guess. Yeah. Which I think is probably like the biggest difference between talk therapy, isn't it? Because I don't know a lot about talk therapy. I'm not a psychologist or anything, and I've actually partaken in talk therapy. But for some, sometimes it's that constant talking about it that leaves them not, well, I don't want to say stuck where they are, but it, it does. it's not as helpful for moving them forward because it's not so externalised. Yeah, I agree. I mean, talk therapy definitely has its place, but often the person will repeat that story and they're repeating it and it's sitting quite close to them all the time. Whereas if you get someone to use a medium on a piece of paper to think about what um, their issue is and you notice the way they make marks on the page and then you hold it up away from them um, and talk about how they made those marks on the page what what it does is it it sort of twists the psyche not twists it's a bad word but flicks the psyche into um seeing it from a different perspective and from that outside perspective and you get those aha moments where you're like oh right like if I say oh I noticed that you pressed really hard with the black crayon here and um you pressed over the red markings and you'll say that to the person they'll be like oh yeah and then you'll just see a light switch on and they'll be like, oh, because whatever that red meant to them and whatever the black meant to them yeah. um, reveals something underneath that, which is often the unconscious that's playing out. So, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard of, um, I think it's called Neurologica? It's on YouTube. My friend does it. And it's basically drawing Sounds not similar to that, but when you were talking about drawing it, that's what reminded me of it. Drawing and uh, you just, it's basically doodling, um, obviously with uh, more structure around it, but there's doodling and then it's um, taking that those doodlings and colouring it in and um, turning it into or discovering something about yourself because it ends up actually looking like your brain. Yeah. Yeah fascinating it is fascinating stuff and you know um we our psyche actually will protect us too um if we're not ready to see something you know that might be too much of a shock it won't it won't let us see it yet it'll be a gradual process towards that point so you know um yeah it's pretty powerful work in the same way that you know when we've had trauma too we store it in our body um and a lot of the time that can show up is like disease or illness in a physical way. So it's the same way that, you know, somatic movement can help shift things. So it's, I do a lot of movement with my kids as well. Um, they often have a lot of stored trauma in their body. Um, so to get that out, we just do a lot of play and movement. But it's all very, yeah, it's very powerful. I love it. 
Yeah. And you've been doing that for five years now, did you say? Um, nearly six. Yeah. Yeah. I um, got the job on the TV Islands when I was fresh out of art therapy school. Yeah. Um, so it was a very steep learning curve, but um, <laughs> amazing at the same time. I've learned so much culturally, um, just in working with trauma um, in general as well. And, you know, learning how I am as a therapist and what works and what doesn't work. And yeah, yeah it's been a, a massive growth, growth experience for sure. So. Yeah, and you're so not afraid of challenge, which is something I just adore about you. You, you just unflinching. You are. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, I do love a challenge. I just think you know, we we get this life. Why not, right? Why, why not sort of step off that cliff and and take a chance and go and do something crazy or go and challenge yourself. You know, I've done many hikes where I've climbed these mountains and I didn't even know I had it in me, you know, but I did it anyway and I did it and the accomplishment's amazing. So, And we're going to talk more about your trekking as we go because that's one of the more most fascinating things about you, although not the most fascinating. You're, you're so multifaceted in the world of being fascinating, which <laughs> is what I love, right, because the conversations that we can have have been endless and it's just always so enlightening to talk to you and get new perspectives on everything. So... I don't know if you can hear, we've got the siren going past outside. I think that's saying this is awesome conversation that we're having. <laughs> we must send the siren through. <laughs> so, well, one of the things that I like to talk to my guests about, Kelly, is the obstacles and hardships that they've faced and how they've actually overcome them. So, could you think of a time that you'd like to share with us of a hardship that you've had to overcome and just how did you do it? Like how did you build your resilience and maintain your emotional equilibrium with all the tools that you have? I know that you, you've got a lot of uh, tools in your toolbox, but maybe it was a time before you had those tools or maybe it's been a time on one of your tracks. Yeah, well, um, you would know this one, Katie, and um, the one I can talk about is the I when I broke my foot. Um, so, and we'd just done, I think, a block of coaching before that happened. So I had tools, um, really good mindset tools um, that I was able to apply when that happened because it was a very challenging experience for me. Um, I was incapacitated. Um, the whole there was a big trauma around the actual accident um, and it was my first injury. So I had surgery in a foreign country and it was very, very traumatic. And it did it literally knocked me off my feet because I couldn't walk. <laughs> um, but interestingly, that's what got me back into hiking was I was really down and out. I couldn't work. I just had to have my foot up all the time. I was in a heel boot and on crutches and um, I was using your the tools we'd learnt and applying them because otherwise the mental space I was in was going to pull me, you know, back downwards and I knew I didn't want that and especially from what I had, everything I'd learnt. Um, so, yeah, I applied all of that 
mindset coaching we'd done and then I started watching um, hiking vlogs because um, I'd never been so grateful to walk as I was when I was incapacitated with three broken metatarsals and unable to walk. So, um, so what I did was part of that watching the hiking vlogs was visualising and then researching hikes I could do to pull me through that situation. So it was a good six months of, um, of going through that process along with recovery. Um, so yeah, it just got my, lifted my confidence, um, got me out of that hole that you can go into when you have an injury, Yeah, um, which was something new I was navigating. So, and yeah, and then I think, a year after that happened, the first hike I did was the Jack Baller Trail up here in the NT. So that's right. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, which was amazing. I went with my brother and and my foot was fine. Like I did it, uh, did it well. So yeah. So really you were using your your that visualization of looking at people hiking, looking at hikes, planning ahead, seeing yourself out there doing something. You were giving yourself purpose and um, something to reach for, isn't it? It's about continuing to go, well, this isn't lasting forever. What's next? Yeah. And I think the tools we've learned obviously gave me the awareness to be able to recognise what was going on in my mindset at that time and the thoughts that were coming through that and, and discerning, you know, that though if I stayed in that thought state, it was just going to drag me down and I didn't want to be there like, um, it was quite hard to navigate because I was on my own um, navigating. I, I had friends to support me, but essentially I lived by myself. So yep. um, it was, yeah, it was just, you know, finding that level of resilience to, to pull and, through it. And because it happened, uh, because the, the whole thing happened, it was in Bali, wasn't it? And you were out on a scooter and you, you had an accident and then it was being in a foreign country on your own, in a foreign hospital, they didn't, nobody spoke English? Um, not many people spoke English. I was actually stuck on an island when it happened. Um, and I wasn't being silly, just for any people that know, it was a freak accident. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I couldn't, like I had to organise to get off on a boat to get off the island and there wasn't a boat until the next day. And every, I had to rely on people to carry me everywhere because I couldn't walk and then some people were really helpful and other people would just looked at me like I was just another Bali statistic <laughs> but you you know you always think those things are never going to happen to you and then yep. it happens and yeah and then yeah I was in the um, BIMC hospital in Bali and they wouldn't let me fly because of the swelling and I had to get um wait for the insurance to come through so that I could have surgery and then I had a five-hour surgery and then I woke up during the surgery which is another oh. trauma <laughs> so and then yeah I got back to Darwin and then I got an infection so I ended up having to get go back into hospital for another five days and so yeah the whole experience was it was very traumatic um but not to mention the amount of pain you must have been in in those it, like when it first happened and you're being carried around by people and you know you're not really being nothing's being attended to properly so your pain levels must have been excruciating yeah um 
yeah, it was. And I mean, given that I'd never been in hospital for anything and never had surgery and, you know, being that vulnerable in a foreign mm. country completely alone was, was, yeah, it was very hard. So I'm lucky I found some really cool people to help me. Actually, one of my good friends now, Rochelle, she actually found, <laughs> they found me uh, at the bungalow, dragging myself backwards up a ramp, trying to find some people to help me. And she's one of my good friends now. So I'm lucky I found them. <laughs> We've got a good story to tell when people go, oh, how did you guys meet? <laughs> I was dragging myself around. Because <laughs> I couldn't walk. Yeah. I was in shock. I was in complete shock. <laughs> so, yeah. And that was such a massive uh, obstacle for you overcame. And you, I do remember that vividly you just lied yourself as you do to everything before and after that yeah with such gusto and you just you are so unbeatable there was nothing that was going to beat you and the first thing that you do is well when am I going to walk and where am I going to be walking to yes yeah how far can I walk exactly I'm not just looking to go around the block I'm looking to go trekking I know, I know. People say that to me all the time. They're like, when are you going to like just slow down and just chill for a bit? And I'm like, well, I've got this life. Why not? I've got to be living it. <laughs> it's the old saying, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. so tell me then, um, what's the biggest risk that you've ever taken? Because we've all taken different risks, but uh, and risk is different for everyone or what we call risk. So what would be the biggest risk that you've ever taken and why did you take it? Oh, gosh, I'm trying to think of something. Do you know what's interesting is I've taken, I guess you could, they're so normal for me that I don't even know that I call them risks, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, it's almost like my soul just decides that it's time to change things up and it's just happened again recently. It's yeah. like, and, you know, my soul just literally decides and then the rest of me has got to catch up somehow. And if I have doubts or something, you know, it's the same as moving to Darwin. Like I just had this whole like shift happen and I got sort of my soul went you're moving to Darwin and I was like what I've never even thought about that before and I didn't even know that was my soul doing that at the time I just got downloaded and you know and I didn't know a soul up here and I packed everything in my Toyota Yaris and I found a placement because I needed to do placement for art therapy and I just drove my whole life to Darwin and you know it was the best thing I ever did like for my career anyway and what I've learned and how I've grown as a therapist. So, um, cause the opportunities up here are amazing. And um, so that was a huge risk, but I think at the time, cause I'd, I've moved my life around so much. I just see it as, oh, here we go again. Like, <laughs> yeah. So apart from like the career opportunity that you had up there and how that's evolved and changed your life through changing, you know, evolving your career, what else do you see that moving to Darwin has actually unfolded in your life for you that perhaps wouldn't have happened if you had have went anywhere else or even just stayed where you were? Well, I guess, you know, at the time, I mean, it still is a bit of a wild frontier up here. You know, it's far away from everything. Even though Darwin's a city, it's kind of like a small country town. And I guess, you know, I was living on the Gold Coast at the time and it just takes you out of, it was, you know, it's very much about consumerism and 
you know, um, entertainment and that culture. And moving up here really got me out of that. And I was ready to move out of it anyway, because I mean, after I had that shift, I looked around and I really wasn't connecting with the place anymore. Whereas up here, it's very much about culture and the land, you know, the landscape is ancient, you feel that. Um, and it's just a different, different experience, you know. Um, back, you know, back when I moved up here, there was maybe like three nice cafes that did nice coffee you know it wasn't like the gold coast that had a new cafe on every corner yeah you know everything was at your disposal all the time whereas up here it was just more laid back and it just really sort of um gets you back in connection with yourself I think too and yeah it's a very it's a very beautiful community in that people are all about networking um, it's a different vibe down south. It's a, there's a bit more competitive nature down there. Yeah. Um, most people up here are, you know, working in community somehow, helping um, our First Nations people or they're in a helping profession or, you know, they're just out going fishing. <laughs> so, and the fishing's really good up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it was just a, it was an environment that I needed, I think, to nurture myself a bit more in my connection to who I was in nature. So, yeah. yeah. So it really helped you change that perspective on life that you were looking for anyway, because I love the Gold Coast, born and bred there. So do I, so do I, yeah. Um, and yet I understand completely what you mean. There's, it's, uh, it's a very transient uh, place to live because there's so many people moving there every week from other places because who doesn't want to live in, you know, sunny beaches and all the great stuff the Gold Coast has to offer. Yet at the same time, it's, um, it's very much gets the label of the, the place with all the beautiful people, you know, because it's all about the you know looking good it's not it's about the gym and the the cosmetic surgery and the you know all those external beauty embellishments shall we say um and it is it's very consumer oriented because it's such a tourist destination where where you are like you say there's three cafes instead of a new one popping up every five minutes you just had three cafes um and everybody's about community instead of the transient crowd and I imagine shopping it wouldn't be you know let's go to Rabina and um, shop the day away at a, a bazillion shops in a small enclosed area you know you, you actually have to go and think about what can you do for entertainment yeah I mean you know I've been here what seven years or so now so it's definitely changed um it is getting busier especially after COVID because we were the safest place in Australia a lot of people moved up here yeah more nice coffee now and things like that but I think for me it was nurturing because I've only realized in the last um year or so that I'm a highly sensitive person so I actually in crowded crowded cities and like overpopulated places I actually um it's not good for my nervous system so um being somewhere where it's a bit more laid back I definitely um prefer you know I go back to the Goldie all the time because of my best mates there and stuff and I love it but I it's like I I can only have it in small doses now so (laughs) which is fine right we all know what we like and what for us and um, I'll come back to, I keep saying I'm going to come back to your trekking stories and I will. So we'll probably run over a little bit 
on time because your trekking stories are so interesting. But before we go to those, is there a time in your life where you've done something voluntarily, uh, but you call it, you know, like a hardship? So, you know, I often say on here by way of explanation is that, you know, there's a couple of times in my life where I've done something uh, voluntarily but I, I refer to it as, you know, the hardest thing that I've ever gone through voluntarily. You know, it wasn't thrust upon me. It was my choice to make a, a change and do those things. Um, but, gosh, they were so damn hard. There was such a hardship to me emotionally, you know, mentally, financially sometimes. So is anything come to mind for you that you've done, put yourself through voluntarily? Um, I'm just trying to think. I mean, I can think of plenty of hikes where I've done that, <laughs> where I'm like at the end of the day going, what did I, why did we choose to do this? Like, <laughs> what was the purpose again? <laughs> yeah, like why am I carrying 23 kilos on my back, like <laughs> up a, you know, up a 90 degree slope? Like <laughs> this makes no sense. But um yeah, I don't know. That's the only thing I can really think of off the top of my head. Yeah. You've actually been through a couple of scary times while you've been out hiking. I mean, you've been caught in some bad weather situations. Yeah. And I mean, that I think that comes part and parcel with choosing that as a, um, a passion um, activity, um, especially when you're you know, nature is just nature and it'll throw at you whatever it wants to throw at you at the time. So <laughs> um, I know me and my uh, friend, we tried to do the Australian Alps walking track. I think it was maybe two years ago now when the bushfires were around. 2019 so, that was. Yeah. So yeah. we um, we actually had to get off trail because, um, yeah, it was too dangerous. So. And didn't you do a hike in um, Tasmania with your brother? And then yeah. you went on one on your own art straight after that. And yeah. did, I think you, I remember you talking about being caught like uh, in a spot. I think maybe it was bad weather. Yeah. So my brother and I did the um, South Coast track and the Port Davie. Well, Port Davies before the South Coast track. Because um, me being me wanted the most remote trail I could find. And you actually have to fly the only way to get into Malaluka on the south coast track is to fly a plane in there um, but we decided to do the Port Davy as well which links up to that so I think it was about 12 days but yeah there was one day on the south coast um, track it started raining in the morning and at that point you're walking along the beaches and um, it doesn't take much for the um, little rivulets to get flooded so we'd come down off a, off a hill onto a beach and we got to the end of the beach and the campsite was literally just over, over the rivulet and up the hill and we couldn't cross it because um, the amount of, we'd, it'd been raining all day, we were soaked through and um, we couldn't go back to where we'd come from because um, there was no campsites there. Yeah. And we couldn't cross and it was late in the day and I was freezing like, um, I had to get the space blanket out to keep me warm and so we just had to you know problem solve and we sort of tucked ourselves around the edge of um, a dune and we had to flatten the dune a bit to be able to pitch our tents and we just um, had to wait it out for the rivulet to go down so you're always it's such a learning curve hiking you're always met with challenges as you go and 
you know, that's when you you real it kind of it kind of breaks you wide open, but that's where you find out what you're really made of, I guess. Yeah. So yeah. So how do you go like in that situation where you're soaked through to the bone, it's raining, I was still raining still, or you know, like even if it's not raining, everything's wet. So starting a fire seems like it's not really a possibility. Yeah. And you can't dry your clothes out. So how do you warm up? Well, you have, um, I won't forget the leeches too. I think I had about five leeches stuck to my stomach that night as well. But um, you always have a um, bag of dry night clothes in your pack. You um, can't light, oh, no, you could light fires there. But, yeah, it was too wet. Um, But, yeah, you have like a dry, you have everything in your pack in a sort of dry bag. So yep. that, um, when you set up camp, you can get all of the wet stuff off and get into your dry, dry clothes. So um, you just have to make sure that, yeah, you do that. So yeah. And what's it like in the morning putting on your wet shoes? Oh, you know, it's not the, it's not the best. And, you, you know, you, wear, you only have two sets of clothes because yep. it's too heavy to carry anything else. So, you know, you, your shirt's a bit stinky and... Yeah, so do you put your better. wet clothes back on and put your dry stuff back in your pack so that if it's still wet that day, you've still got something dry to sleep in at night? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. even when you have a raincoat on, it doesn't really, if it's been raining constantly all day and you're walking through um, brush, which is all wet as well. Yeah. So like every inch of you is pretty much wet. Um, Water seeps in, doesn't it? Yeah. But, you know, you just you just get used to it. It's just how it is. It's like you can't have a... You can't have a mental breakdown over it. You've just got to get on with it. So, <laughs> well, it's not for the faint-hearted, is it? I mean, that's it. You go out there. You know what your challenges are likely to be, and yeah. there's a part of you that's like hoping that it's not too bad, but you're prepared for, like, you know, it's not going to be a walk in the park. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I've done things like um my bushcraft survival and things like that because yeah. I think um you know, you do have to have some level of skill and understanding of what what it entails and what can actually go wrong because things don't go to plan all the time and, and that's just, you know, when you're being out at one with nature, yeah, you just have to follow her rules. So, Absolutely. I think I shared with you my favourite book and I tell everybody about my favourite book, Deep Survival by Lawrence Gonzalez. Oh, I, yeah. I tell everyone about that book as well. <laughs> Because it's just full of so many great stories about what happens when you go rock climbing, hiking, camping, even, you know, sailing, just everything. And, yes, he just, I think even reading that, I remember talking, I met somebody networking on Facebook or something, and I he was a rock climber. He was, all, you know, going out and doing his rock climbing on the weekend. And I went, oh, it's this really great book you shared. And I told him about Lawrence Gonzalez and he, picks it up and goes I've already got it he said I never go anywhere without this and I read it every time I'm out in the bush (laughs) and like I because I read that too I think you told me about it when we first met and you know that was so helpful because I remember we came down from the Port Davy track at Bathurst Harbour and we had to dry camp that night because we didn't and we didn't have enough water so we were dehydrated and then we had to row across Bathurst Harbour and because we were tired and dehydrated, that's when you start to not make very good decisions. And we just sort of looked at the tide and we were like, oh, it's pretty flat. We'll be right. 
and I was rowing the rowboat and we got out to the middle and the current was changing and then we started spinning and we were either going to get like taken out into the ocean or into the harbour so we had to make some quick decisions to row back to where we came from and we couldn't get back around the point so we just pulled into a little beach and we had to sit there for a couple of hours but both my brother and I were a bit shaken up because you know um, we just didn't make a good decision and it can happen you know when you get yeah. lost in food or you just don't have enough water or yeah and that's really the metaphor for life, right? Even if you're living in nice, warm, dry home, comfortable, you know, like in your in your busy day of life, we make bad decisions for very similar reasons. We're dehydrated, we've been not eating well, we're tired, we've been burning the candle at both ends. And the um, implications of those bad decisions don't always seem as immediately obvious because you're not being pulled out to sea or you're not, you know, going to drop off the edge of a cliff or whatever, but it's the same thing. It's, and I think that's the value of uh, Lawrence Gonzalez's book and you actually doing what you do and seeing how all of that is, it's so interconnected. Everything that happens and makes us make bad decisions in the wilderness actually really does apply to our day-to-day -day life. I think Lauren said in uh, might have been in his other book, uh, Everyday Survival, but he says, you know, we speed around on the highway at 50 bazillion miles an hour in these cars. You know, we haven't checked the tyres. We, you know, maybe haven't done our services as much or whatever, or maybe we're in good cars. But he said every time you don't have a crash, it's not because you're doing the right thing. It's just because you got away with not having a crash this time, right? Because it's bound to happen. Accidents do happen and lapses happen in your mind because you're not taking great care of yourself or your vehicle or you're just making poor choices on any given day. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, um, intuition, I think we, we're so overstimulated now. We're not paying attention and I think, intuition is a big thing too and you know most people and I love Gabor Mate says that a lot um how you know before something bad happens did you ever have that gut feeling but you did it anyway and I know for me in Bali that happened I had intuitively from the moment I landed there I had a gut feeling and I didn't pay attention to it and you know the outcome was unfortunately an accident so yeah um, I think you know we have to actually connect connect deeper within into ourselves and remember that our intuition intuition there is guiding us as well so yeah and yet there's a there's a fine line there as well isn't there because we have our intuition but we also have and and our survival instinct they're they're there but we also have that other instinct of what you know um i call bastard voice yes um that is giving us fear and anxieties about things that aren't happening but because of its experiences in the past and its journal its checklist about oh this all looks like the same thing and it's actually that getting to know yourself which is what you do when you're out in the bush and testing yourself and with your chat with the different challenges is getting to understand the fine lines between the the fear that we feel that is going to hold us back if we listen to it but distinguishing between 
that intuition and um, survival instinct that is really saying, you know, I'm, I'm as old as the earth, that this is that feeling that's there and I'm telling you don't do this or do this. And it's finding that fine line. I love that when you're out trekking, you really are getting very clear between the different distinctions, aren't you? Yeah, because I think the bastard voice definitely has a an air of the critic about it, you know. It's very um, sort of near at you, whereas if you stop and connect to your intuition, it's actually a lot more gentle unless it's an emergency and, yep. you know, um, it does need to yell at you for any reason. But, it, it, yeah, it's more um, caring and gentle and it's an inner knowing, it's, yeah. you know. It and it uses it. less words, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's just a deep inner knowing yeah. that, um, you know, you just know. Yeah. It's question. It's like you just you just feel it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I always, my for me, the distinction comes between intuition and survival instinct. You just really little words, go left, go right, stop, don't do. Whereas, you know, Bastard Voice has quite a lot to say about everything. It's just too chatty. And so, I'm okay, like you're, you're the wrong one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's quite relentless and it's a bit mean too. Yes, mean. but, you know, it, it ha- it's got its place, but that'll be a conversation for another day. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about Bastard Voice all day. <laughs> and speaking of Bastard Voice, actually, I want to come back around to your art because I normally talk to people about what it is they do for fun and relaxation and I know you have a plethora of things that you do for fun and relaxation, but I'd really like to talk about your art. And I remember one of the pieces you did was actually about Bastard Voice, but we don't have to talk about that one now. But um, you've done some amazing artwork and people should really, are you still posting um, new stuff on Facebook? Um, More Instagram, yeah. I have done a few more. Um, I sort of stopped there for a bit I think it was because of all the because I'm a highly sensitive person with energies and I think the COVID energy sort of was a bit crazy to navigate yeah um, so I didn't have as much creativity coming through but I have done a few recently yeah but yeah I post them when they're when I do a new one I always post it up then suppose you've got one in reach Ah, so Kelly's just come back. We've done a little short edit there, so you didn't have to look at the blank screen. But look at that. That is, do you want to explain what that is? Because it looks like a painting, but it's actually how many pieces of paper? Um, many pieces of paper. So I'm a collage artist and I use magazine cuttings. So I cut out colours, textures, images, and use them to make my art. And this one's really significant, Katie, because this was the first one I did after we did our first mindset, our first coaching together. Oh. And I, it just cleared me out and I just went into creativity for like a year and a half and just made art because I think I just quieted, quietened the bastard voice for long enough for me to flow with creativity. And this one's called Clarity because after all that coaching, I got so much clarity. She's so beautiful. And you had a, a beautiful exhibition, didn't you, up there in Darwin? I did. Um, so after, and that was after we did our coaching together as well, kind of cleared out all my 
inhibitions and all that inner critic stuff that was going on for me. And yeah, I just spent a year and a half, especially after my accident as well in my recovery. I just sort of was a bit of a hermit and I just made art and I love it. It's just such the creative process is just amazing. Um, I just call it being in flow, being in flow with some, some greater energy. That's how I can describe it. I lose hours um, when I'm in flow and like, it's almost like I'm channeling something because even I sit back at the end of it and I look at it and I go, how did I do that? (laughs) How did I do that? So yeah, I feel um, so much gratitude to be able to convene with the creative process because it, it, it almost doesn't feel, it feels like something else is working through me sometimes. So, um, and it feels like I'm making other worlds, like through my artwork, other dimensions, I don't know. And you do because your artwork is, it's so, it, exactly, it's like you create other worlds for us to look at. Yeah, those places and the one that is um, the thumbnail on this video that is going to, when we publish it is the one of you at your exhibition with the lady what I don't know what you call her she um, so that lady was in one of my groups and there she's a Tiwi lady yeah. um, and she I just looked at her facial expression and who she was and I just was like really drawn to her and I asked her if I, she could be my muse for an artwork and we signed a contract and agreement to say that was okay. And um, in that one, I used all textures of the earth for her face yeah. and then for the hair, it's all tree foliage. So all the textures in that artwork are from the earth. Yeah because you know all indigenous people say they they identify with their country and the land and that's who they are so I just sort of wanted to bring that into that piece of artwork and you know culturally from getting to know um, the Tiwi people it's just been amazing all the learning and about the connection you know that I think you know in western culture we're really missing so and that picture that you did of her, it's just so beautiful. To me, it's like a Mona Lisa because you've captured her, her beauty, her ex- the expression, her humanness. Her, it's just, it, I could look at that all day because it is so beautiful. Yeah. And, yeah, a lot of people say that about, there's something about that um, image. Uh, people in the, at the exhibition said the same thing. Yeah. She's just got this real pensive look on her face. But, and even when I finished her, I sat back and I looked at that and I was like, I do not know how I did that. Like how I captured her eyes. Yes. I still look at it today. And that's the, a testament to the creative process is like, I'm sitting this far away from it with all these bits of paper and my glue stick and my scissors. And, you know, I'll sit back and I'll be like, oh, I'll just add a bit of this. And, you know, and then I'll finally sit back from it and have a good look at it and I'm just like it blows my mind (laughs) people are like how did you do that and I'm like I actually don't know just it's something in me or something coming working through me so yeah work in your hands yeah yeah it's amazing Kelly and I'll do the work yeah yeah Yeah. so I love it and I've done collage since I was a kid you know I used to cut up pieces of paper and cover all my 
school folders with paper and it's just been something that's in me I've tried to paint and draw but collage is just this it's this beautiful process of all these fragmented pieces together that were once other images and creating a whole new image it's almost like putting together an unimagined scene of a jigsaw puzzle that you've got to find but you've got to find the pieces first rather than them all being in a box for you so well, that's actually, I think, is the metaphor of life, right? It doesn't matter what you're trying to achieve in life, whatever element, whether it's setting up a business, losing weight, health, finding a relationship, I don't know, everything in life is like a jigsaw puzzle and you have to find all your pieces because it didn't come in a box for you. So true. It's so true. And, you know, that's why I live the way I have as well is because there's been many times where I've felt like I've been, I don't know, on the other side of the world searching for something, not really knowing what it is. But it's just almost like finding those pieces of your soul and bringing them back home. Yeah. Um, And that's why I guess I've never really stopped because I I just think there's so much out there to witness and see and experience and explore. Like, why not? it's it's you never know what you're going to find there right so exactly and we are a long time dead you know and we don't know I think the one thing that I got from COVID I didn't I don't like to talk about it too much as a as a pandemic and all of that but one of the things that it highlighted for me is nothing is given that it will be here tomorrow because we're so used to our lifestyle and and just feeling that it's a permanent, we'll stick with. Um, but, you know, there so many things can suddenly go. And just for small instances, you know, it was, uh, uh, I used to watch all the city cats going up and down the river and it's like, oh, you can go on them any day. But then all of a sudden, no, you can't. They're not going. They're not, you're not allowed, you know, we're not allowed out. And it's like, oh, okay. And travel, all of a sudden, you know, oh, we can all travel everywhere. And I went and enjoyed a lot of that. And I'm so glad I did because then all of a sudden, who knew that was going to be taken away, you know? And there's just so many different things in life that simply one minute it's there and then the next it's not. Yeah, and it's also understanding that, you know, putting so much focus on all those external things for your happiness as well it really brought that home as far as you know coming back inward and into a bit of a retreat yeah um, notice and be more aware I guess that's highlighted for me as well so one last question I'm going to ask you before we move to our conclusion today is you know often we can look back and there's a trail of breadcrumbs that leads us to where we are so as you look back can you see the trail of breadcrumbs that has actually brought you to this point in your life definitely definitely and even more so I think um, the last couple of years um, just because I've sort of deepened my connection to myself and I think when you do that it expands your awareness so you're able to notice and pay attention to those things more yeah 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 but I can you know even down to me booking my flight to New Zealand last year and having it fall through even what's eventuated in the last you know since that happened I'm I can clearly see I was never meant to go last year it was just not meant to happen so I was meant to be right here where I am right now so um 
Yeah, and I think that, you know, I love, I'm a big kid. I love the magic of the synchronicity and the breadcrumbs, you know. I love all that, oh, I'm in the woods and, oh, what's that, a breadcrumb? And, like, you know, I'm just going to follow this and see where it goes. Like, there's just so much magic in life that yeah. you choose to pay attention and, you know, connect a bit in bit deeper with nature and with ourselves. It's always there. It's yeah. just, it gets more beautiful, so... You mentioned there New Zealand and I would like you to come back for our viewers. Kelly is going to be trekking. You tell us quickly what you're going to be doing in New Zealand later this year. Um, so in October, I'm going to be doing the Teoroa Trail. I hope I pronounced it right, if any of you Kiwis out there. Um, so it starts at um, Cape Renga, Cape Rianga, and that's not right, I know that, um, not top of the North Island. And it finishes in Bluff, bottom of the South Island. So it's around 3,000 kilometres. So it's called a through hike. It's what um, people in America do a lot. So, yeah, so that's what I'll be doing. Hopefully yeah. successfully, but I have no doubt that it will be successful with all its challenges. Yeah. And it'll be for roughly five months, give or take. Yeah. Around five to six months. That's um, the time limit I'm giving it. So you want to be out of the South Island by winter anyway. So yep. so I'll be putting that in my diary and the minute <laughs> you get back, <laughs> we'll be here having a chat specifically about all of that. If not, in between, perhaps. Yeah. If there's you know, a connection at any point while you're on, on track, I would <laughs> love to be chatting with you while you're there because I think that's the best thing is to find out some of the what's happening in the moment yeah for sure I'm I should be taking a break over around Christmas time so yeah uh, yeah we'll, we'll check in see where I'm at I'd love it yeah. so Kelly if people want to get in touch with you what's the best way they can do that if they want to find out more about your art or art therapy or even about maybe some tips on trekking? Yeah, so I'm on probably, I'm not a huge social media person, but I'm probably on Instagram's the best way. I've got my um, my personal profile and my, it's Kelly Vane's art, which is my um, art profile. So you can have a look at my collages there. And yep. yeah, just chuck me a message on there awesome so thank you so much for joining us today kelly it's just been wonderful and as always a sensational pleasure to talk to you i could talk to you for days i know thank you katie <laughs> it's been amazing <laughs> And to everybody who's watching us, thank you for joining us today. It's always so hard to say goodbye. So please uh, make sure you subscribe. Give us a like if you've enjoyed our conversation today or if there's something that you've gotten from Kelly's adventures and the things that she's done that's helping you to overcome an obstacle, we would love to hear about it in the comments. Um, so please do do that. Leave us a comment. And as always, we will say goodbye for now and we will see you in the next episode. Bye, everyone.